0: Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.
1: Hello, I'm your host, Dana Johnson, the immediate past president of SWE, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. On today's episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Katherine Hunt Ryan here in the Diverse Podcast Studio, live at WE23. Catherine is the president of Bechtel's manufacturing and technology business. Catherine, I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about exciting innovations in manufacturing and tech, as well as to hear your story of being a woman leader in STEM.
2: Well, thanks, Dana. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be at this conference and engaging with everyone. I I look forward to it. It's definitely amazing to be at this conference if you are not here.
1: They're somewhere in the realm of 17,000 people walking by the studio. Well, maybe not all right now, but pretty close, it feels like. So let's pivot a little bit here away from WE23 and talk about your role of president. You are responsible for the worldwide markets of design, construction, and project delivery for semiconductors, electric vehicles, and data centers. That is a, a pretty wide swath there. How has the recent legislation, including CHIPS Act, changed the landscape for these different industries in the U.S.?
2: Well, again, thanks, Dana, for having me. Um, Just maybe to start out, you know, what are we talking about? What is Bechtel as a company? And what's our place in this market? And then what's our place with this legislation? Bechtel designs and builds large capital projects. These capital projects, they create jobs, they grow economies, they improve the resiliency of the world's infrastructure. They increase access to energy, to resources, to vital services, and they make the world a better, safer, cleaner place. I'm the president of our newest global business unit, manufacturing and technology. Where in our MNT, and we do like acronyms a lot, we design and build semiconductor fabs. We design and build battery factories, electric vehicle infrastructure, and data centers. There are two recent laws in the U.S. that directly affect really the value proposition that our customers and the whole industry has in terms of starting new semiconductor or EV, electric vehicle projects. And when I say EV, I really mean all of the components, the batteries, the battery materials that go into an electric vehicle. Those two pieces of legislation are the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act or IRA. The Chips Act has encouraged companies to bring semiconductor manufacturing back to the United States. We used to be a very, very large production facility or production hub in the US, and that dwindled over a period of time. Uh, The Chips Act is is serving to help enhance that, to bring some of that manufacturing capacity back to the United States. Semiconductors, as we know, they're in everything that we use. They're a critical component to all of the electronics that really power our daily lives in our cars, our household appliances, and really whatever device that you're using, even to listen to this podcast. So if we think back to 2020, that was the beginning of a global chip shortage prompted, and that really prompted some of the U.S. government officials, to to change some of the stance and to create more of a, of a long-term incentive and environment for chip production to happen in the U.S. That was the Chip Act. That shortage of, of chips is still ongoing, So the Chips Act included $39 billion in incentives for manufacturing semiconductors in the US. That has launched really an engineering and construction boom on the heels of that. And that's where Bechtel, that's where the company that I work with, that's where Bechtel comes in. We are helping our customers, we are helping chip makers manage the engineering, procurement and construction that's needed to realize these massive and extremely complex fabrication facilities. And then on the electric vehicle side and all the battery components, the Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, included $12 billion in electric vehicle incentives and $37 billion for advanced manufacturing. The Inflation Reduction Act is catalyzing capital investments in the U.S. and in the U.S.-based factories that are making batteries and battery materials. So looking at this broad trend of onshoring advanced manufacturing, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's electric vehicles, whether it's battery components, there are a lot of projects starting. We're seeing a boom in the fabs and battery factories, and it's been an incredible start. Um, And Bechtel is very pleased to be helping our customers make these advancements. No, that's, that's all great,
1: Catherine. Thank you. I do want to note, you mentioned Bechtel has a lot of acronyms. We clearly just realized the government has a lot of acronyms. Mm-hmm. So between, right, I work for GE. We have our own language of acronyms, Bechtel and the government acronyms. We're going to try to keep the acronyms to a minimum here from here on out. But I think that, no, the the IRA no has promises. been huge. No yes. promises. No definitely promises. no promises. I will definitely go with that. But <laughs> the IRA has been huge in so many industries. You were talking a lot about that semiconductor industry, and I know that Bechtel was just recently selected to design and build a manufacturing plant in Ohio, not too far from my home in Chicago. This will be a 2.5 million square foot facility with production beginning in 2025, which is not that far away when you think about it. Can you share a little bit more about that? Maybe
2: maybe if you know how the heck we're going to get Something up and running by 2025? Sure, no, so it's, um, again, starting back, this is exactly the type of onshoring of, of enhancing the US's supply and manufacturing capacity and chips that, that we were just talking about. We have the honor and the privilege to be a, a part of, of, of making that a reality. And we are designing and building a semiconductor fab in Ohio. It's a multi billion dollar project with really massive scale and complexity that does take years to complete. So that, you know, to the context of the global Chip shortage, you know, and the public incentives, the focus really becomes heightened, and that's thus our presence in that in that project. So one of the the projects that has been publicly announced is this this is the fab that you mentioned in Ohio. Um, we've mobilized hundreds of people to the site and, and elsewhere to make this uh, a reality. The site is uh, two and a half million square feet. Including six hundred thousand square feet of clean room, and for those that maybe are less familiar with the the semiconductor or fab um, fab market, um, capacity is production capacity can oftentimes be measured in terms of the square foot of the clean room space. And so, six hundred thousand square feet of clean rooms is a is a very substantial capacity addition to U.S. fabrication capacity. The project's going to be one of the most advanced semiconductor manufacturing centers for microchips in the world, which is very exciting on on many fronts. And it's just absolutely massive. So completing the project will require thousands of skilled craft professionals, up to 7,000 craft professionals at the peak of construction. So stay tuned for more as the projects like this and others are progressing, but we're, uh, we're very pleased to be part of the solution.
1: That sounds like an amazing project. Hearing that you're deploying hundreds of people out to site blows my mind a little bit to think about that. That's that's a lot of really solid work created for people here in the U.S. But all of that being said, it's no secret that there are significant shortages here in the U.S. when it comes to construction and labor. How are you at Bechtel tackling this challenge, and what are your thoughts on any possible
2: long-term solutions? Sure, I'd say this is a significant challenge um, the craft professionals, the welders, the electricians, the millwrights, Craft professionals are the way that, that construction happens. They are the only way that construction happens um, on any project. And we need a lot of craft professionals engaged and working in the future. There's a, a world of opportunity that awaits and, and demand for, for craft professionals like we haven't seen in this country in a long time. So what are we doing about it? So Bechtel is a company. We work with approximately 190 million direct hire in subcontractor hours each year. So... And kinda take that number kind of back up and say, like, what is 190 million direct hire and subcontract hours per year? That's a lot of that's a lot of people around the world.
0: It We're one of the largest really
2: em- employers of craft professionals in North America. As an example, in, in terms of where are those people located and how do they come to site, how do we attract and retain them, we were recently building two of the largest construction projects in North America simultaneously. One was the Pennsylvania Chemicals Project, which had uh, just over 8,500 craft professionals at the peak construction, and a project of, for two nuclear reactors in Georgia that had about 8,000 craft professionals at peak. So when we mobilize to a project, we deploy really great talent and teams that have a track record of of success. But I want to really stress that part of the, the success in mobilizing and attracting such large workforces is creating a diverse environment and it's creating a safe environment where people want to come, where they are respected by their colleagues and where they know that they can be in an environment that is safe and they can return home to their families at the end of the day. So I can't stress enough that the diversity is important and the safety is important in terms of being that employer of choice and in terms of attracting and retaining the volume of craft professionals that we need to make this happen. So we are, I would say specifically in terms of what we're trying to tackle, um, how do we attract this number of people? How are we growing the pool of potential craft professionals in the U.S.? Um, We're meeting right now with the Department of Commerce on their initiatives to increase the number of women in the construction industry. Commerce Secretary uh, Gina Raimondo announced the initiative of a million women in construction. This initiative aligns with our company, with Bechtel's focus on increasing the opportunities for women in our projects and in supporting skilled training for women in the trades. Um, We see the way to address the challenge of labor is to quite frankly expand the pool from where we recruit from and a significant portion of expanding that pool is attracting and retaining women in construction. No, so I, that's, a, that's a lot of that's a lot of information that's a lot but I'd say that the solution is the solution is creating a diverse environment, a safe environment and it's expanding the pool in, in, particularly through attracting and retaining women professionals.
1: And I think so I started my career a long time ago out in the field and you just at least then almost never ran across women in construction even if it was like the, the foreman on site or, or anything. And I feel bad. Like a lot of times the only women that anybody sees in construction are like the flaggers on the side of the road. And and I think we need to do a better job of highlighting those women when we actually run across them and promoting this as, you know, a, a great career option for, for people that are looking for something that, that checks those boxes for them. So I think that's, that's crucial.
2: I know I got to say that from a, just a pure personal where we resonance, what resonates with me in terms of what I think about careers and construction careers and, you know, on the field in a project, making things happen without overgeneralizing women really like to multitask. We, like, you know, we do well in environments when, when there's a lot going on and we need to prioritize and get things done and get things done safely and right. efficiently. And so for all of the future, you know, lovers and junkies who really enjoy multitasking, construction is your friend. It is. It really is. Because to your point, you're getting pulled every which direction. You know, let's
1: say the electricians have something going on that they need an answer on, but yet... You need to make sure that that concrete truck is pouring what it needs to pour. And it's, you know, every which direction there. I think that's that's incredibly valuable, and I know at least in my industry, I don't get to play in the field too much anymore. But I, you see women go into project management, and they nail it for that reason. So how do we how do we convince them to expand their their scope and think about going out in the field and looking at construction sites? Come on, site.
2: whenever you, you you miss a site, come on over. We'll have you
1: anytime. <laughs> I would love to. Uh, I should qualify it and say, you know, the first time I was out on a site. Not the first day, but the first site I was on. They let me play in the excavator. So can you can you offer me that? With the requisite training, absolutely, okay. yes. And, and they did make me promise if if they said stop, I'd put my hands and feet up. We'll do some virtual reality
2: training <laughs> in the excavator before we put you in the big one.
1: I think that'd be great. Okay. I, would, I would take it, Catherine. Okay. It'd be great.
2: Game on. Game
1: on. All right. You heard it here first. I'm going to pivot and add a side <laughs> career as a person running an excavator. Speaking of pivoting, we're going to switch gears a little bit on this podcast. When we talk to our guests on the podcast, we really like to hear some of their origin stories as well. I happen to know that you have a political science and public policy background. So I'd love to hear about your career journey a little bit. What got you from that public policy background into Bechtel and working all the way up through the ranks there? That was such a polite way to say,
2: how did that work out? No, you know, would... people ask me that sometimes. <laughs> and,
1: and we're on
2: air, so we have to be somewhat politically correct. We do. But yes. We do. We do. Uh, no, joking aside, um, when I was in university, I was an undergrad. And as a sophomore, beginning to pick a major, I was hyper-focused. And I mean laser-focused. On the provision of water and sanitation services for emerging markets and for the primary purpose that when emerging markets had access to water, basic water and sanitation services, it meant that young girls and women could go to school. They weren't literally collecting water. They weren't walking to, to sources of water to bring back water for their families. So I became um, and I was inspired by what could be done to advance water and sanitation services and emerging markets. How do you design them? How do you pay for them? How do you build them? How do you regulate them? How do you operate them? And I focused my studies on that in countries like India, in Morocco, and sub Saharan Africa and other places. And so political science at Stanford University was the department that was kind enough to kind of blend engineering and economics and all sorts of other things and create this major that allowed me to hyper-focus on the provision of water and sanitation services. So I did that. I worked briefly in the U.K., learning how the U.K. does their provision of water and sanitation services in a completely different, you know, quote, developed um, world environment. And then I wanted to, I worked in, in investment banking briefly, and I really wanted to go back to graduate school in a place that enabled me to understand what is the gray area? Like, you know, investment decisions, why do... Why do societies develop, especially with infrastructure and access to water services? It's not black or white. It's not binary in terms of what makes something good or bad. Um, It's usually, there's a lot in the gray area of whether it's political will, um, regulation, or other things that make projects a success. And so I went back to and got a public policy degree to try to better understand or be a bit more capable of of comprehending what would eventually make a project successful or or not in terms of the long-term sustainability. I joined Bechtel because I was uh, I was very interested at, at the time in in investing in infrastructure development and that that tie between literally investing as an owner and then developing um, an asset or developing um, you know construction facility and so um, I I joined a group in Bechtel called Bechtel Enterprises. It's the in-house kind of private project development and and finance organization within the Bechtel group of companies. It's a pretty small group within Bechtel. And I joined thinking I was, again, pretty laser-focused in terms of project finance, in terms of project development. And the more that I saw of the company, it's almost like, you know, behind door number two, when you open up the door, you find something, you're like, wow, I did not know this existed, or I didn't know that I was passionate about it. I've been with the company since 2007, I think I've probably had about 18 different jobs. And it's a type of organic growth company, you know, constantly trying to give people different opportunities. And I've done a lot of different things, and, and I've learned a, a ton about myself in terms of what I really enjoy doing, which is making an impact in communities. It's no longer just in water and sanitation. It's in ship facilities. It's in, you know, it's in rail. It's in airports. It's in LNG development. But the, the making an impact in communities has taken on a whole different realm or a whole different kind of definition of what those, what those roles could be.
1: That's a longer answer than you probably It's a looking very for. long answer, but it makes everything make sense. As I kind of suspected there was that that underlying story, but I love it. I love the what it was originally that got you going that direction. I think that's fantastic. It caught me when you mentioned how many different roles you've had and you said probably, so I'm not going to repeat the number, yeah. but a large number. And it it made me reflect on the keynote speaker this morning and I don't know if you were able to catch Kate Maxwell. But she had a phrase that was, don't be fearless, be brave. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably takes some level of being brave to jump to
2: some of those roles. That I'm guessing that you were often tapped for, for taking on that next step. No, it does. And I think it takes a few things. One, it takes an environment or, you know, whether you're in a company or in a nonprofit or wherever you are, it takes an environment where... You have those opportunities and so there are other options available and there's new challenges ahead of you so that is a you know can't take that for granted I have had that very consistently in my in my professional career but you said there were multiple doors you got to look behind so clearly there were opportunities there are many many opportunities and I think that I you know in terms of you know maybe for some of our listeners what are some of the things that could be applicable to any one of you is that um, in in each of those positions i can very honestly say that that half of maybe half of me was thinking okay i can see myself doing this i could see how this might my my previous skill set or experiences could be applicable and half of me was saying Ugh. <laughs> and it's that type of you know if it's 90% comfort and 10% you know you're a bit scared might be you know might not be enough of a challenge for what it's you're looking too for safe. it's too safe too safe
1: What's the right percent? Do you have a percent? Mine's
2: 50 50. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a phenomenal way to grow. I mean, then we're a bunch of, you know, engineering like minded people. So, it's of course, as if you can actually measure that. But I right. would say uh, maybe 51 49. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll take what 51
1: 49 and okay. then we'll figure out how to measure it.
2: Okay. KPIs. Yeah. Coming. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Okay. So, in addition to your amazing career journey you've had at Bechtel, you also are a mom of three. I'd love to l- hear a little bit more about those kiddos. And you sit on multiple boards. So I I often shy away from asking about work-life balance, but do you have any tips for those of us currently donning the motherhood hat?
2: I have some tips, but if you have any in, in return, please share. This is, i say, this is like, you know, it takes a village to do Absolutely. these things. And so... Uh I'll share what I've been trying, and uh, you can let me know if it resonates. So I do have three wonderful children, 11, 10, and 6. You know, for our younger generations, they don't understand this expression, but it's like live television, you know, so it's constantly changing. It's constantly, you know, you're on your toes, and it's really great training for what Maybe we, for hosting a podcast or being a member of a, a podcast Absolutely. Recording. Definitely for podcasts. Definitely for project management, you know, where things change and you need to respond and keep, you know, keep your wits about you. And uh, so, no, I have three wonderful, wonderful and beautiful children. They are a challenge and, and uh, full of life. And um, I sit on a, on a, sit on a few boards, and including the Bechtel board. But I'd say that you know, there, there are no secrets. I was talking this morning to a wonderful group of women and, and joking. Uh, the question was, well, what's your superpower? And I said, you know, you know, let's be really blunt here. For those of us that remember the movie Clueless from the, the late 90s, um, there was an expression there about someone being accused of being a Monet, which is when you, you know, it looks great from afar. The painting looks really great from afar. But when you get closer to it, like it's a kind of a hot mess. I don't know that I just I'd self-describe as a hot mess, but I would say that, you know, the closer I'm sitting here. I don't think I could describe you as a hot mess at <laughs> all. But I know I think from like from just a, we're all humans and the closer you get to seeing how whether it's motherhood and career and all the other ways you engage in your community, it is like there's only twenty-four hours in a day for everyone. And it gets messy, right? And but but the mess is, you know, the mess is fun. That it, it challenges you to be a better person. It hopefully sets to be, you know, sets the right example for your kids. But you need to have a degree, a high degree of humility that it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit messy at times. Absolutely. So I
1: before I give my advice, I will start off with the fact that I think I just recently watched Clueless on Netflix, so for the younger generations, they may be able to catch up on it and you know brush up on their Clueless lingo. I, I, I suggest it. I'll second that nomination. There's plenty of other good ones. If you, I feel like we could do a podcast on movies that were popular in like the late '80s to the late '90s. Yeah, for that we, we had that generation material. That needs it, but yeah, but not today. Not today. So yeah. when I think about balancing everything. And I have two kids. I have two boys. They are nine and six. There you go. So right in there with yours. And one, this may be my favorite. I have not cooked dinner on a weeknight in over a year. I. It's not all fast food, I promise. I have a local place, woman-owned. She cooks. She does like these individual packaged meals you can pick up. They're clean cooking. It's not a bunch of preservatives and junk like that. It's healthy. Pick it up. Every Saturday morning, this week, since I'm gone, my husband will be picking it up with my kids in tow, and we get three to four meals a week, and I have not cooked. I stick them in the microwave, and it's ready in less
2: than 10 minutes. And you know what? That is not only A-OK, well done. And I'm supporting
1: a woman-owned business, so I, like, there's no, nothing bad coming here, right? Exactly. But it, Karen Hording, who's the executive director of SWE, once said on a panel I was on with her that if it doesn't bring you joy, don't do it. That's right. I hate cooking, but even more than cooking, I hate
2: cleaning up. No. So, no, done. no it's when well, I think that what you you just mentioned, I completely identify with. And there's, um, you can't do it all. You no. cannot be the superstar mom, the building the school projects, the you know building a company. Like you just, you just can't, you can't do it. And so, part of it, I think, one of the bigger challenges is, is how do you, how do you lower your own expectations for your role in those different roles? And so, I kind of joke that, you know, have all three kids. Had um, had a healthy dinner. Yeah, have they had dinner? Yes. That, High dinner five. is like High the baseline. Need yeah.
1: Dinner. I, did they eat all of it? Don't even care. Yeah, don't no, Not, in not front of them. Was it in front of them? Yep.
2: Are they all in bed? Sometimes they're all in one bed. That's, I don't know about that, that you. That doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't time location. It's okay. They've got bunk beds, so I've had
1: to carry a child out of one bed and down some stairs and Just into. Just gotta there. lower the expectations yeah. sometimes. I didn't hit anybody's head. Success. I call that a win.
2: That's a big W.
1: <laughs> my other work life balance tip. So, people often make fun of me because after we chose our daycare, a brewery opened across the street. Now, obviously, my kids are out of daycare. That's economies of scale, right there. Exactly. If only you know how many times we saw teachers in there after the, clearly after the work day. Yep. smart. I, I, I know my children. I need a beer too. We would block off on Friday, because daycare was open until like 6 or 6.30, COVID changed hours, but it was late. We would block off, we would get to the brewery at four, my husband and I, we would have a beer, we would plan the weekend, we would talk about the week before we even ever had to pick up our kids.
2: And then, you know, keep a breathman in your purse and go pick up your kids. So we've now established that as your side jobs, you're going to both be an excavator operator. Yes. And a dual daycare bar owner and operator.
1: I have said that a retirement career for myself, because everybody that knows me knows I will not retire well, a possible retirement career for me will be some sort of bartender. But I do really like, I'm a beer snob. So I do really like beer. And I think I could i could do
2: the microbrewery thing. I think there's a lot of things in your, in your current profession that would be applicable in that. So... This is true. This is, think of the opportunities.
1: We're going to wrap up here with a really solid question. What career advice do you have for women listening who want to step into more of a leadership role in their careers?
2: that's a really good question um, um, again I'd say I'm still trying to figure that out you know we all, we all are there's not not a solution I think particularly for again I spoke this morning with a group of women that were they were in high school they were they were finishing up high school and, and thinking about what was next that's a different different stage when they're when you've been in a in a, again an organization and a company a nonprofit and you're trying to figure out what's next but the the advice to the the high schoolers and the the younger women that were trying to bring into these careers, especially in STEM careers, um, would be to to keep on challenging yourself. So to be focused, you know, again, I was laser focused on water and sanitation. It opened up these opportunities that would have never been created if I hadn't been, you know, very, very hyper focused in one area. But just as you're following your passion, be really open to other diversions, other interests, other things that, you know, what's behind door number two or behind door number three. Um, So keep on, on, on pushing yourself to be, to open and expand your horizons. And that's where I'd say, you know, tying it to maybe when you're a bit later in your career and you're trying to take on a role of leadership. Again, leadership to me, at least leadership is not usually because you're the world's best expert in name your discipline. It's right. that leadership comes because you've had different experiences and in, in working with different teams through challenges, through difficult situations. And so try to get those intervals. Try to expand your horizons so that when you do get the role and you do get the opportunity to lead, you'll have other other things to pull on. You'll have other other teams, other cities you've worked in. You've had other other examples of, of hard times to pull on. So it's, it's really to, again, first... Take the take those other doors, you know, expand your horizons because it will make you a better leader in the future.
1: No, I love that advice. I be open to diversions. I wrote that down word for word. I feel like over the course of my career, and it sounds like yours as well, I've always hated the question of where do you see yourself in five years, because if I had to pick, I don't think I'd I'd be there. I would have gotten distracted by by something else. And that's what's happened, right? I've gotten distracted is not even the right word. I see something else that I I can say, "Oh, that makes sense. I understand why I would go to that behind door number 123510 whatever door. In my case some of them may have been a little little higher number than 1 or 2, but I think that that is so relevant and I hope that especially given the changing the way that the workforce is changing, the way that our industry is changing, when we talk about AI, when we talk about some of the other innovations coming into engineering, I hope that our listeners will be open to those diversions. I also wanted to highlight again, one of my favorite quotes here, as far as what Bechtel is doing, is creating that diverse and safe environment. And I, I hope that all of our listeners, wherever they're, they're at in their organizations, can strive for that. I think that's so important. And finally, don't forget, if you haven't seen Clueless, to look up Clueless. I think that's incredibly valuable. Definitely not your typical podcast advice, but hopefully Especially you'll enjoy Especially when it. we're talking about STEM and women and exactly. I mean, it's, but the, the ironies are positive. They are. They are. Catherine, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today here at WE23. I know it's, it's asking a lot of our, our podcast folks to take away from this amazing conference and come record a podcast. But it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today and getting to hear some of your story.
2: Well, thank you, Dana. And it's a privilege to be here. I'm looking forward to getting back on that, that expo and engaging with the 17,000 plus uh, people who are looking to pursue uh, their next steps and careers in STEM. I don't want to hold
1: you up any further from that because we've seen them going past this glass door and they are, they are plentiful. They are very ambitious, clearly very ambitious trying to get into that expo floor. So we're going to wrap it up today. I'm Dana Johnson. And from all of us at SWE, thanks for listening.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.